Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to continue in, in the book of Amos today. We're going to be in chapter 3. Last week, we started off our, our series in Amos in chapter 7. Because um, where else would you start? We're gonna st- we start in chapter 7, and we talked a little bit about the background of Amos and uh, the fact that we don't really get a lot of background. Amos didn't have some crazy call experience like Moses. Uh, Amos, you know, we, we don't know much about him. We just know that, that he was a shepherd, much like a lot of the people that God called. He, he tended to sycamore figs. We talked about that a little bit. But uh, the, the message for us last week out of chapter 7 led us to three points. And uh, I, I know the note takers were happy, so you've probably got your notes pulled up. And so if, but if you don't, if you don't remember, maybe you weren't here with us last week, uh, the, the three things we talked about out of Amos chapter 7 were that, that God relented the locusts in the fire. You see, as we talked about the prior week, that, that God is not transactional, but God is relational. And so God wanted to do something, and Amos pleaded on behalf of the people, and God's, God responded to Amos and said, okay, I'll hold off. But God's initial response, we talked about, it wasn't a harsh response, it was a holy response. God had every right to do what God wanted to do. We talked, number two, about the main thing. God was no longer the main thing. That God said that he was going to tear down the high places of Isaac. Remember that? That that it wasn't the high place of Yahweh, it was the high place of Isaac. God was no longer the focus. They had built these great things and stuck God on the side. And lastly, we talked about the faithfulness of the, to deliver the message is not the end, but it's the beginning. And we talked about that. That's why we begin our weeks in worship together and we, we hear the word of the Lord and we're brought into our week hearing from God. Church isn't some cherry on the top of the ice cream that is our week, but it's the very beginning. So we allow all of this I hope you remember some of that, and, and I, we allow all of this to begin to form our understanding of chapter 3 this morning. But before we read it, um, I, I'm going to summarize chapters 1 and 2 for you very quickly here. Uh, if, if you read through Amos this week, and I encourage you to, if you didn't read through it this week, it's not very long. Um, but chapters 1 and 2, they're, they're written in almost the sense of poetry, and, and for the sake of time, I'm just going to give you the abbreviated version. Chapter 1 tells us that God is going to take out the Philistines. You remember the Philistines? You remember they had that giant that was taken down by a little rock? Yeah, those Philistines. Chapters 1 and 2, in these poems that they seem to be, they, each section begins the exact same. And, and if you flip to or open to anywhere in chapters 1 or 2, you'll see these words. It says, For three sins of, fill in the blank with a, with a, a people, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath. And throughout all of chapters 1 and 2, it's for three sins of Damascus, Gaza, Tyre, Edom, Ammon, Moab, Judah, Israel. And then God goes on to list their sins, the ways in which... They have just missed it. And God's, God's not saying, hey, I'm just mad at you, but God lays it out. You know you've done wrong. Here, here, here. This is what has gone on. Uh, and then God gives us these, these places, and he lists it, and he says that the day of the Lord is coming. 
and no one will be able to flee. Are you encouraged? You good? You blessed yet? Good. All right, so we're going to be in chapter 3 this morning. And uh, you can stay seated because we're going to read the whole thing. Um, and, and if I stop and talk, I don't want you guys to be stuck standing up. So chapter 3 of Amos it reads this way. Hear this word, people of Israel. So it's written to the people of Israel, which are God's people. The word of the Lord has spoken against you. Against the whole family, I brought you out of Egypt. You only have I chosen of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your sins. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? Does a lion roar in the thicket when it has no prey? Does it growl in its den when it has caught nothing? Does a bird swoop down to a trap on the ground when no bait is there? Does a trap spring up from the ground if it has not caught anything? When a trumpet sounds in a city, do not the people tremble? When disaster comes to a city, has not the Lord caused it? Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. That's an important verse right there. The lion has roared. Who will not fear? The sovereign Lord has spoken. Who can but prophesy? Proclaim to the fortresses of Ash of Ashdod and to the fortresses of Egypt. Assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria. See the great unrest within her and the oppression among her people. They do not know how to do right, declares the Lord, who store up in their fortresses what they have plundered and looted. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. An enemy will overrun your land, pull down your strongholds, and plunder your fortresses. Isn't this just encouraging? This is what the Lord says. As a shepherd rescues from the lion's mouth only two leg bones or a piece of an ear, so will the Israelites living in Samaria be rescued with only the head of a bed and a piece of fabric from a couch. Hear this and testify against the descendants of Jacob, declares the Lord, the Lord God Almighty. On the day I punish Israel for her sins, I will destroy the altars of Bethel. The horns of the altar will be cut off and fall to the ground. I will tear down the winter house along with the summer house. The houses adorned with ivory will be destroyed and the mansions will be demolished, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord and we can say thanks be to God. So God begins God's message to the people with a list of rhetorical questions. And there's not much worse... There's not a much worse thing in the world than a parent asking a child rhetorical questions. Or even sometimes authority figures will ask rhetorical questions. You know, when you get pulled over and the cop says, do you know how fast you were going? Is that a rhetorical question? Are you supposed to answer, do you know how fast you were going? Or when a kid gets in trouble and the parent starts asking, do you know what you've done? What should you have been doing? And sometimes the kid starts to talk and the parent's like, don't talk, I'm talking. You know, you, you don't know if you're supposed to respond or not, but it's just coming at you. So God's pretty, pretty fair here in saying that this is the family that God chose. And it's this very family that has let God down. Through reading all these rhetorical questions, I, I read them dozens of times. And, and the thought that kept coming to my head was, it takes two to tango. Now, I don't tango, but there are numerous dangerous professions that use the motto, you never leave your partner behind, right? We hear this a lot, 
And, and even if you've ever been on a trip as an adult, as a kid, a lot of times they use the buddy system, right? Because it's much easier to get on the bus and say, does everybody have your buddy? We look, everybody's good. If somebody's buddy's not there, we're missing somebody. We can't leave, right? Well, Dustin and Leah just got back from a cruise. And I've never been on a cruise, but I've heard tons of people tell me stories about cruises. And as you probably know, on a cruise, you go and you, you dock somewhere, the big boat finally stops, and you can, they tell you, they give you very strict instructions. They say, now, we're, you're getting off and it's noon. This boat will leave at 6 p.m. This boat will leave at 6 p.m. Well, Leah was telling me the story that at one of the spots where they stopped, she said they were only going to be there for like two or three hours, and it was this huge, massive pier with like 16 cruise ships, and they were at the far end of it. So she said, you're talking walking, you know, a couple miles just to get to see anything, then coming right back before the time. So she said, her and Dustin just stayed on the ship, you know, everybody kind of cleared out, a little more, uh, you know, no lines to do anything, and she said, but, but as, as the time came near for everybody to come back, you know, for my example, let's say it's, they had to be back at 6 o'clock. They were told tons of times before they left the boat, we leave at 6 o'clock. She said, well, 5.30 rolls around, and they do, you know, a 30-minute warning. We'll be, we'll be back um, on our cruise in 30 minutes, 15-minute warning. Then the 5-minute warning comes, and they say, we're still missing four people. So 6 o'clock rolls around, and guess what? The ship didn't leave. The ship stayed, and after another 15 minutes or so, they said, all right, we are missing this person and this person and this person and this person. If you know them, please get in touch with them. We have got to go. Wouldn't you know it, that ship waited for an entire extra hour, and they never got on. So those people got left on whatever island they were at, and uh, I, I'd love to know what happened, but they, they got left. Their, their names had been announced, nobody knew them. They had plenty of warning. They were even given a grace period, a whole hour, and they still didn't make it back to the ship. Hmm. I think there's something to be said about that. We need to recognize, as this chapter has told us, that God has chosen us. God has chosen humanity to be the partner that gets to tango with God in renewing the world. But when we claim that we are God's dance partner, and we do not show up, that is frustrating, right? If, if, if you've ever... I, has, does anybody in here dance like ballroom tango? I know Tina does dance, but I don't, have you ever tangoed? Okay, well, I, it would have been great to have somebody up here tango and then have somebody just leave, just walk away. Because that's essentially what God is saying. He said, hey, we, we made a deal. We, we've been walking together, not because I forced you to, but because you agreed to it. You said, hey, I'm coming with you. And God's saying, D didn't we already work this out in a thing called covenant? <laughs> but anyways... Have you ever just been counting on someone and you're really relying on them to do something and they just flake? They don't show up. This is how God has felt about the people of Israel. 
And when this is written in Amos, it's not that God has just started feeling this way. God is saying, I told you when the ship was leaving. I gave a grace period. In Israel, you're just letting me down. Hmm. They've agreed to walk with God, but God finds no one there to walk with. Then verse 7 again says, Surely the Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. You see, God is revealing God's self, but the people are not listening. Does this sound familiar? You see, this is the entire story of Scripture. All that's in this book is God revealing God's self and the people missing it. Well, you see, we, we can't really judge the Israelites because we look at this and, and people were just not good at listening to God. It's just true. But it's something that takes practice and dedication and we have to be committed to it. Well, now when we get to the end of chapter 3, Verse 12 says, This is what the Lord says. As a shepherd saves from the lion's mouth only two leg bones or a piece of an ear, so will the Israelites be saved. Those who sit in Samaria on the edge of their beds and in Damascus on their couches. So, you know, we talk about being the body of Christ and, you know, that no part is more important than the other. Well, maybe today, for the sake of studying Amos, maybe our prayer needs to be that we are one of the two leg bones or we're a piece of an ear. Because essentially what that text is saying is as, as the body is being devoured, the shepherd's going to be able to save at least some pieces of it. Will anybody be saved from punishment? Yeah. And as I've said before, I've told you all this, and I'm confessing it before you again. In school, I was a goody two-shoes. I, I did not do anything at school, including have fun, because I was such a goody two-shoes. All the kids are running around having a good time, and I'm like, I just can't do that. I just, what if we're not supposed to run, and they're all running? What if, I, what if we're not supposed to talk, and they're all talking? I did not enjoy elementary school, and I think I probably had, like, anxiety, because I would lay in bed at night. Did I get this sign? Did I get this sign? Did I, did I write my name on that paper? Did I... It was not good, but thank God for middle school and something happened and I was released from that. But as a goody two-shoes, you know what's the, like, the most annoying thing that can happen to a goody two-shoes? Is when you get one of those teachers that just gets to the end of their rope and they say, Alright, that's it. If anyone else in here talks, everyone has silent lunch. You know what that does to a goody two-shoes? Because you know what happens. Nine times out of ten, the kid that's going to talk during silent lunch speaks up just to, just to watch the teacher get mad and in a tizzy. And then we all get punished, and we all get silent lunch, or we all get no recess, and the goody two-shoes in me is just livid, just flaming mad. Why should I be punished for someone else's lack of control? Hmm. Was the teacher trying to teach a lesson? Absolutely. And I get it. Looking back as, a, as an adult, I kind of, sort of, not really get it. <laughs> was it fair? Not really. Was it holy? Absolutely not. It was not holy. 
Church, God's plan for judgment is no secret. It's not some off-the-wall plan that people have never heard of that we're just anxiously awaiting. It's here. And we have got to remember in this culture that we live in that truth still exists. That the things in this book are still true. That when, when, when God talks about there's judgment coming, there's judgment coming. Because what did we read last week? That, oh, the people are going to get sent into exile again. And what happened? Oh yeah, Babylon, exile, God was right. Judgment is a real thing, but guess what? It's not even unfair. It's holy. It's not some, something that God's just sprung on us that we didn't know about, couldn't prepare for. We know about it. Truth is not an idea. It's not a concept. You see, truth is a person, and its name is Jesus Christ. Truth is a person. And truth has a body. And that body was the incarnate Jesus Christ, and that body is now us being his body. So we have to live and breathe and be a people of truth. But you see, when we believe that this is the word of the Lord, and that these words are true, we have to take seriously that God has chosen us. We sit in this room today because we said yes to what God was calling us to in relationship. And we have to own up to our part. You see, personal privilege brings greater responsibility. That's the theme of Amos chapter 3 right here. God is saying, hey, I have blessed you, I have chosen you, I have given you everything that you need. But I haven't given it to you so that you can grow fat, old, and happy. But I've given it to you so that now you can go and be responsible with it. And I'm afraid that maybe the church today isn't being responsible with being God's partner. God can hold us accountable because we signed off on this. Why can I be held accountable if I do wrong to Brittany? <laughs> I entered into a covenant with Brittany. We got married. And if I do something wrong, I can be held accountable. Not just by her, but by others. Others can say, yeah, you have not been faithful. Church, this Amos chapter 3 is not about them. Amos chapter 3 is about us. <laughs> God's not looking at the people that have never heard and being angry. God's looking at the people that signed on for this and they're not doing their part. That's what Amos chapter 3 is about. God can hold us accountable because we agreed to it. We've benefited from the blessing of being a covenantal people. And you know, our society has begun falling away from believing that truth exists altogether. And we're falling away from this idea that consequences are a real thing. No matter what we do, there are consequences. And so this makes God seem even more ridiculous in the eyes of, of people in our community, right? Because they say, well, that's just harsh. That's just rude. What we do has consequences. That's why the Apostle Paul writes, the wages of sin is death. <laughs> Not only because sin leads... At sin on judgment day will be judged accordingly. 
but also because the things of sin are things that lead us to a quicker and faster death. (laughs) Quite literally, there are consequences for each and everything that we do. When we toil in things that are sinful, we're just flirting with death every step of the way. Even in God's displeasure, God is saying to the people through Amos that some of those will still turn. And this is good news. Some of these people still will be saved from the punishment of God. And that means that there's work to do. Just when God shouldn't have any more grace. Just when the boat has waited its extra hour that it should have never waited. There's a little bit more grace. It wasn't deserved. Did, in the example, did those people deserve to get left on that island from the cruise ship? Absolutely, they deserve to get left. Now, the, the one side of my brain says, man, I bet something happened and they are in a hospital somewhere on this island. And in which case, that is awful. But were the, they knew where they were supposed to be and they weren't there. Did the people in the day of Amos deserve God's judgment? Yes. Absolutely. Yet, God was gracious enough to give another means of grace. More time to be obedient. And not to go too far down this tangent, but that's what the book of Revelation is as well. It's not a scare tactic. It's a book of worship about how graceful God is. And that even when God should just do judgment now, God says, there's still some more grace. There's still more time. I want more to know and to love. This book of Amos, we don't read it in fear. We need to read it out of worship and say, thanks be to God, we were warned of the judgment. And thanks be to God that we have a God whose judgment is not harsh, but is holy. Church, some of you came in here today with lots of guilt, with lots of shame. And even as I talk about agreeing to do something with God, you're thinking, man, I've just fallen short. God's been on the dance floor and the music is playing and I'm just not showing up. Hmm. Maybe when we sing things like we did this morning, when we say that there's joy in the house of the of the Lord, these words are hard to sing because you came to the house of the Lord this morning with a heart weighed by guilt. You just knew, man, I'm, I'm not doing my part. Or maybe as I've talked today, your heart breaks for the church. Maybe our church, maybe just the church universal, of how the church has not stepped up and been the covenantal people that God has called us to be. And then for, for us, it was humbling to proclaim those words, how marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love. Today, if you came in here with guilt and shame, I've got good news from the warnings of Amos. There's still time to repent. There's still time to turn. There's still time for change. There's still time to submit to God for what God wants you to do. Karen, would you come and play? Um, God has granted us today a a gift of grace. You know, I, I hear people say all the time, you know, Well, I woke up this morning, so I'm blessed. You know, to to breathe another day is a blessing. 
And that's all I could think about as I, I prepared this sermon was, every day is a blessing because every day is an opportunity to repent. Every day is an opportunity to lead someone else into repentance. God's warning is not a scare tactic, but rather it's an act of a gracious, holy, and loving God. So this morning, we're just going to spend a few moments in reflection. If you need to come and pray this morning because you realize, man, I... I read these words and I look at judgment and I think, man, God, that is what I deserve. God looks at you today and says, but that doesn't have to be the end of your story. But today can be a turning point in your story that you can say, this guilt that I've been carrying, it's yours. I, I surrender it because you have said that if we turn, that you forgive. There's forgiveness for you today. There's grace for you today. There is time for you today. There's love for you today. You matter, you are known, and you are loved. So I invite you, if you need to, let's come and pray. Pray for yourself. Pray for the church. Pray for your family. We'll spend a couple moments in prayer, and then I will pray for us together. But come, let's respond to the word of the Lord. Lord, we thank you today that we are your partner. That you have called us into covenantal relationship. And that you're not holding us to some standard that's unattainable. You've given us your Holy Spirit to, to, to live into that covenant. God, help us in the ways in which we fall short. 
Lord, we repent of the times in which you have shown up and you're ready to go and we're not there to walk. We're not there to dance, to be your partner in the work that you want to do. God, today may this be a day of repentance for us, not not a day of of walking back out of church with guilt and shame and just, man, I let God down. But today that, that we realize that you are a holy and loving God and that your relationship is different. We walk away from conversations with you like this knowing that we can be forgiven and that we are made new in your eyes. God, help us to be encouraged by the words of Amos, not and, and to be challenged by them, to, to know that there is still work to be done, that, that judgment is coming. And Lord, that, that we still have time to repent, but also that we have time to invite others into this repentance. God, when the day of judgment comes, we want to look around and see everyone that we've ever known and loved and seen and cared for around the throne proclaiming your praise. We thank you for the amount of grace that you just keep pouring out over and over and over. And even when to our standards, you've probably gone too far, you have a little bit more. And because we're breathing, we can breathe in your grace and breathe out your praise today. God, make us a covenantal people. Forgive us empower us for we want to be who you're calling us to be help us to be a people of truth that stick to the word of the Lord and we are a living example to this world that truth has a name and it is Jesus Christ our Lord we ask and we pray all this in his precious and holy name amen Can we sing that chorus of grace greater than our sin? Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace. That is greater than all our sin. Are you thankful you came to church today? We've been in the presence of the Lord, and He is good, He is faithful, you are loved, and He has enough grace for you today. Would you stand with me as we go and receive a benediction today? Would you go from this place as the forgiven people of God, ready to partner with God in all that God wants to do in Gainesville and in Hall County and to the very ends of the earth. Go in his grace and his peace. Amen. We will see you at 2 o'clock at the lake.